You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. I mean, stop singer. Toss on off the first. In time to get seven. Rerun Homer Robinson. Get off the lefty specialist, Fernando Abad. And the Mariners lead it five to four. Goodbye, baseball. Leonis Martin with a walk-off. Two-run home run. And the king, when the Mariners needed him the most, two hits over seven. Now, here's your host, Gary Hill. All right, two days in a row, the podcast is back. It feels like, you know, a pitcher getting ready for, a relief pitcher getting ready for the season, and they go back-to-back days for the first time. That's what this is. We're going back-to-back days for the first time this spring. Welcome back. Thanks for being here. We'll ease into it a couple more next week. And then the third week in March, we start to get closer and closer to going daily. As the season gets closer and closer, Mariners played yesterday. They beat the Brewers in spring training action. Mariners now 5-1 and one on the spring season, Cactus League season. Beat the Brew Crew 6-2. to two. Miranda got the start, went three innings. Gave up one run. Mariners 12 hits as a team as they beat the Brewers. And the podcast today, this is a conversation that I think we're going to have quite a bit leading up to the season and during the season because I think, and I mentioned this yesterday, I think this is the biggest difference between the Mariners last year and the Mariners this year, and I think potentially could pay very big dividends. We saw how important it was, Lanos Martin in center field, patrolling center field for the Mariners last year, particularly at Safeco Field. And it really showed when he was down for a while on the DL. But I think outfield defense is a big improvement from last year to this year. And we'll see how it plays out during the course of the season. But that's what we're going to talk about. Outfield defense. I think it's going to be an important topic this year. And it's been important to teams that have made playoff runs recently. Well, this is going to be a fun conversation. Outfield defense is something we've been talking about with the Mariners this year, and we'll get into that a little bit now as we have Casey Bogoslaw with us. You can find his work at robaseball.com. He's the managing editor. You can follow him on Twitter as well, at Casey Bogoslaw. I found a good article, really good article, on Hardball Times that you wrote, Casey, about outfield defense. And We'll talk a little bit about how that affects the Mariners coming to this year, but you started, I want to start where you started, with the Kansas City Royals. Yeah. And how significant outfield defense was to not only their World Series title, but their playoff run. Well, Gary, if you recall, I mean, the 2014 Kansas City Royals more or less came out of nowhere. Yeah. The projection systems did not have them as a playoff team. They, of course, kind of snuck into the playoffs after several seasons of uh, disappointments. You know, their their big guys, their their prospects that they had built for so long had come up: Eric Hosmer, Lorenzo Cain, Mike Mustakis, and but still, no one was expecting too much from them in 2014. They they made the wild card. They should have lost the wild card game, if you recall correctly, to the Oakland Athletics. Came back. It was one of uh, most exciting games in the last couple of years. 
and uh, made it all over the World Series, made it, you know, you could say 90 feet away from uh, from winning the whole thing. And then the next offseason happened, and still no one really expected too much out of the Kansas City Royals. And then, lo and behold, they went all the way and, and won the whole thing again. And now as a baseball fan, and I'll even use the term fan, I hadn't really gotten into this this writing thing that I've uh, I've developed for myself the last uh, it's a year and a half plus um, especially it has a, I, you know I'm from Chicago I'm a Chicago White Sox fan watching the Kansas City Royals they were always you know kind of a little brother mm. that they were doing so well it almost just felt kind of fluky and I think that was uh, what the media thought as well from the, that those Royals teams were doing it by fluky Ned Yost got a lot of uh, a lot of criticism on Twitter uh, on his uh, on his play calls and and, and his uh, dealings from the manager standpoint, and uh, people were saying that they, the team was winning despite Yost. But what made me write this article was watching you know the team from kind of a if you if you step back a little bit they were doing it with defense and speed they didn't have a, a outstanding pitching staff of course johnny cueto was brought over at the 2015 deadline to kind of give them an ace and the offense wasn't necessarily you know they weren't hitting a bunch of home runs or anything they were doing it with defense they were doing it with speed they got on base they really disrupted um the opposing pitching staff um but Really, it all came down to defense, and it really it came down to outfield defense. I just remember watching the 14 and the 15 playoffs, and any line drive, any fly ball hit out in that outfield was was caught by, you know, Lorenzo Cain, Alex Gordon, Jared Dyson, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you make a great point because when you think about those Royals teams, I mean, they didn't really stand out in any one area except when you do – break it down to outfield defense as you point out fourth highest uzr in the last decade in 2013 they followed that up with another outstanding year after i mean that was the real separator for them it, exactly and then you know i think that we're seeing that other teams picked up on this and i mentioned the piece you know of course you know and what was the I think the correlating piece that put this all together is that the royals had the best defense in 2015 they won the whole thing who had the best defense last year the Chicago Cubs. Mm-hmm. And what did the Chicago Cubs do in the offseason? What did uh, the GM of the Chicago Cubs, he went out and got Jason Hayward. He got out, went out and got the best free agent on the market who was probably primarily known more for his defense than his offense. The offense hasn't really come for Jason Hayward. It was there a little bit at his rookie season, the Atlanta Braves. He moved to the Cardinals, was a, a defensive first, and got, what was it, $250 million to come play defense for the Chicago Cubs. He did not have a good season last year for the Cubs, but he played amazing defense and kept the Cubs. You know, they won uh, 101 games and uh, or 103 games, and a lot of that was because of their outfield defense, their flexibility. And I pointed out though, they the Cubs had some breaks as well. Uh, and I, I guess no pun intended, but you know, Kyle Schwarber did uh, tear his ACL, and he was going to be a liability in that outfield defense. He got hurt the first series of the season, and the Cubs had to be flexible. They had to play Ben Zobris more in the outfield. They even had to move Chris Bryant the NL MVP out in that outfield, but it made the outfield, you know, more sound. And even Dexter Fowler was a late addition. If they weren't going to have Dexter Fowler there, I don't think their plan was to have Dexter Fowler. They gave him the qualifying offer for the 2015 season. He came back after there was rumors that he signed with the Baltimore Orioles. And it really made those breaks made that outfield defense. I mean, 
perhaps even better than those Royals defenses, but uh, you had a direct one-for-one -one com comparison. The Kansas City Royals in 2015, the Chicago Cubs in 2016, best outfield defense in the league. And as you point out, uh, when you look at UZR and you know five of the top ten teams in outfield defense last year made the postseason. Year mm -hmm. before that, I mean, it's even more significant when you look at how many eight of the ten playoff teams were in the top half. I mean, you know, that's pretty significant. The easiest way to get on base, and, the, and of course, the only way to really get extra bases is to hit the ball in the air, mm -hmm. uh, to hit line drives. I put uh, some some very nerdy statistics in there about you know the batting average of balls in play, comparing ground balls, fly balls, and line drives. And uh, line drives was over 600, while the ground balls and line uh, and fly balls were below 300. Um, line drives, pretty much by nature, have to go in the air, so they're going to get in the outfields. If that's where the most hits are going, I guess the the logical sense is let's put someone let's put someone in the outfield that could catch most of those hits. Um, of course, there's more that goes into it than just putting great fielders in those positions. You know, the Cubs did sign Jason Hayward to go play right field, and that was because what UZR really does in general is it it, it describes the range of that uh, of that player um, I put some baseball savant statistics that are now using statcast data that really show each fielder what where what how much they cover compared to the average fielder uh, they use based on the starting position they go into a whole lot of uh, you know they have a whole lot of data at their fingertips now um, and Hayward caught every single ball that he was basically supposed to and more um, and I don't think, you know, obviously not a lot of fielders would have the same uh, data that would show them that. Um, so, you know, if people are hitting it there, you got to you got to put the fielder in the right spot. And that comes with scouting and everything. Um, and based on where the pitcher is pitching the ball, based on what you think the, ba the batter is going to do. So there is certainly coaching. But if you have a player that can cover more ground than another player, um, you're putting yourself at a huge advantage that you have a little bit more of a, of a room to air, I'll say, in your you know, you're scouting. And, of course, the batter's not going to hit the ball the same place that you want to every single time. And what I think is so interesting about this, from a Mariners' perspective, the biggest difference between the Mariners last year and the Mariners this year is clearly going to be outfield defense. Martin mm -hmm. stays the same in center field, but Dyson, and you talked about him quite a bit in this article when you refer to the Kansas City Royals, and Hanniger on the other side should change the outfield defense for the Mariners dramatically this year. Mitch Hanniger is a very interesting piece. I'm sure you guys have been talking about him a lot, and you guys have do do didn't done some deep dives on him, but he was kind of the you know the throw-in in that trade. I, I like that trade a lot for Seattle. Um, it, it might work for Arizona too. I think Arizona needed to make changes, but I like that trade a lot from Seattle. I like Gene Segura. I don't think he was a, a one-hit wonder. I think he's going to really help again defensively, speed uh, from the shortstop position. But Mitch Hanniger was kind of the you know the B piece that not a lot of people are you know probably will take note in that trade, but he. Is is more than likely going to start uh, in right field for the Seattle Mariners this year. And he, you know, he's a little bit older than a, a normal pro prospect, but he was drafted as a center fielder. So that means he has the athleticism and he came up as a person with the pedigree to play center field, which is generally, you know, a player that can cover the most range, can lead an outfield. And now what the Kansas City Royals have with Leonis Martin and Hanniger and Dyson is three outfielders, which Jerry DePoto has said that's what he wanted to do. He wanted three guys capable of playing center field as the three guys that can cover, you know, the very, very big grounds at Safeco Field.
You know, it's interesting to look at it. You pointed out, too, and the Mariners aren't alone in the American League in trying to improve mm-hmm. outfield defense. It, it looks like it's becoming a big consideration for general managers right now. Yeah, I pointed out the Tampa Bay Rays, who have always kind of been at the forefronts of, you know, the the, the baseball saver metric advantages, you know, ever since, uh, you know, Joe Bannon was over there. You know, they always kind of out kicked uh, their, their expectations, and that was because they were doing the little things that not a lot of. Um, you know, projection systems would necessarily pick up um, and, and they're doing it still, you know, Kevin Kiermeyer, one of the most underrated players in the entire league is a great, great center field, might be the best defensive center fielder in the entire league. He missed a big chunk of time last year that really sunk uh, Tampa's hopes, especially with, you know, such a competitive AL East. Um, but they kind of did the same thing that Jerry DePoto did in Seattle. They have three center fielders. One of them brought from, with a trade, with the Seattle Mariners, they got Malik Smith um, via the, the Seattle Mariners, who was a center field prospect for the Atlanta Braves. Now, he is going to probably spend a lot of time playing the outfield for Tampa. They also brought in Colby Rasmus, who has been a very good outfield in his time um, with Toronto and Houston. Um, and now they have those guys that can flank Kiermaier, kind of the same thing, three center fielders. Los Angeles Angels, same thing. We all know about Mike Trout, um, but they brought in Cameron Mabin, and uh, you know they're they're trying to get more athletic in that outfield. You know the Angels, uh, obviously, you guys know very well, did not have a good season last year. Have had a couple down seasons. Their farm system is a little weak. Pitching staff went through a l- number of injuries last year. If they can get that pitching staff back to healthy. Now they have some guys in the field who can you know track down those balls. You know you don't have to be perfect in this day and age. You know. We want strikeouts, but, you know, with strikeouts comes a lot of balls in the zone. So the balls are going to be hit, but that's okay if they're caught, of course. Um, and, and if you have the athleticism and the, the, the you know, great outfielders out there, you know, they're going to help your pitchers. When you look at outfields around the league, and I know at this point of the season, uh, you know, this point of the spring, it's hard to compare a rank. But where would you put the Mariners outfield coming into the season, assuming health? I'd put them, you know, very near the top. I, 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 I'm big on the Mariners this year. I haven't really made that said, you know. I did say I'm a White Sox fan. Obviously, my White Sox are in a rebuild. I've kind of uh, made it a big joke in our in our site Slack that I'm on the Mariners bandwagon. I'm going to uh, to hitch to hitch a ride to, on, on your guys' cart this season <laughs> while my my White Sox come back to uh, to respectability. But uh, I, I like everything that Depot has done this year. He, obviously, he, the guy never the guy never sleeps. He makes a ton of moves. Um, I can kind of tell you know clearly from this article that i have a sense of what i believe he is doing mm-hmm. um and i i put them right near the top um tampa is certainly there kansas city is still there you know jared dyson was an expendable piece for them um and they needed you know the pitching back and, that, and that's why they they got they were able to trade dyson um but lorenzo kane is still great alex gordon is probably you know i'll say top three left fielder in the game um they're certainly up there minnesota twins are a very very interesting sleeper you know uh stack guys uh, mike petriello put, put out an article a couple weeks ago about how they have the strongest arm strength in the outfield um which is another huge thing that we really haven't talked about but Arm strength, you know, you can kind of correlate to that that's going to stop extra bases from happening. If the ball goes into the corner, that runner is going to be a little bit hesitant to, to try to stretch that into a double, stretch it into a triple if there's that arm strength there. It's all about keeping your damage as minimal as possible. You know, I put a chart in the article in Hardball Times about how the Cubs really kept 
everything in front of them, and they kept everything to singles last year. Um, obviously, their pitching staff was great, but the defense certainly helped them get. But I, I compared it to the Philadelphia Phillies, who had the worst UZR uh, last year in 2016, a bunch of doubles and triples in the corners. They weren't necessarily covering the range as well as the Cubs. And, you know, they don't have the same caliber of player. Um, and, and those singles, you know, sometimes turn into doubles and triples, and that's when you get into trouble. That's when, it, you know, there's easier RBI opportunities. Okay, see, great stuff. Really interesting article. It was a lot of fun to talk to you about it as well. Thanks for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Hey, thank you for having me, Gary. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a blast. Casey Bogoslaw, you can find him at Casey Bogoslaw on Twitter, B-O-G-U-S-L-A-W-R-O-Baseball.com, the managing editor there. We'll do this again. Thanks again. Thank you very much. Mariners and White Sox, game one of this series, and we have a special guest with us along with Rick Riz and Aaron Goldsmith. It's the voice of the White Sox, Ken Hawk Harrelson. Thanks a lot, Hawk, for being here. Certainly it's appreciate my pleasure. It. I uh, always love coming to Seattle. It's one of my favorite towns. I, I just am sad we flew in last night about 3 o'clock in the morning so we couldn't see Puget Sound and everything. You know, it's one of the most beautiful sights in, in the country. Well, we got a good one today, obviously. The King, Felix Hernandez on the hill, Chris Sale on the mound for the White Sox. You get a chance to see Sale every five days. What is it like to watch him pitch every fifth day? It's exciting. It really is. You know, he's a, he's a unique guy because of the kind of person he is as well. He is a wonderful human being. He's a very competitive guy. He reminds me so much of a Mark Burley, only he throws a little harder. (laughs) 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 But uh, Chris is something. He's he's one of those guys, if you hit one of his guys, he's going to get two of yours. And uh, that shows you how competitive he is. But uh, to watch him pitch, I I think a lot because I drive 200 miles a day when we're at home. I have a 100-mile commute each way. And I have plenty of chance to think about before the game and after the game. And when you're thinking about Chris Sale after he's gone out there and, and pitched well, and I was thinking, you know, I faced uh, some great left-handers. I faced Koufax. I faced Sam McDowell, who mm. had great stuff. I don't think I've ever seen a guy with a better slider, a left-hander with a better wow. slider than, than Chris Sale. When that slider is working, he's unhittable. And he would have had he would have had no problems with a hawkeroo, I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Hawk, you've been around the game for fifty six years, so it's a chance for us to talk a little baseball history. In nineteen sixty eight you were the American League player of the year with the Boston Red Sox. But nineteen 19- 69, the Mariners, uh, the Seattle had a team called the Seattle Pilots. What was it like playing the Pilots in 1969 here well, in Seattle? Well, I played right field, so the, the fence was right there. I mean, the stands. You know, they had people sitting there. I had running conversations during the game with some people out there. Some were more <laughs> okay and some were night. <laughs> but uh, the one thing I remember about it, because we came, we came out here, uh, I never hit the ball well at, uh, what did they call it? Six, Six stadium. stadium yeah. Right, Six stadium. 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 I never hit the ball that well. I didn't see the ball that well. And, you know, uh, a lot of people don't understand, sometimes you walk into a ballpark, and I don't care who's pitching, you're seeing the ball well. Mm-hmm. And when you do, you swing the bat well. You hit the ball well. Other places you go that I don't care who's pitching, uh, they can be a bad guy out there who's really struggling. You don't see the ball, and you're 0 for 4. But the big thing with me, I think my, my two favorite towns certainly in the American in the, in the United States are, uh, you know, Boston and Seattle to come visit oh, because of the fact I played in Boston. And, and then coming to Seattle, as I said, I've got some wonderful friends out here. And uh, 
of course, Niehaus was one of my dear friends, and you yeah. have been my dear friend for so many years. And, uh, Thanks, buddy. It's just one of those things that uh, when you have relationships like that and you have a chance to see them occasionally, unfortunately, you know, because we only come out one time, then uh, it really makes it a nice trip. Hawk, so much uh, talk over the summer uh, in terms of the Hall of Fame and baseball surrounding Randy Johnson because he went into the Hall, of course, not long ago. And when you look at the numbers that Chris Sale has put up from a strikeout standpoint and you look at you kind of put the images of Sale and Randy next to each other, a similar build, uh, albeit Randy much taller or a little bit taller. But what similarities do you see when you think about your days watching the big unit and then you watch Chris Sale on the mound? Well, Chris Sale's got a better slider than Randy had. Uh, he's got more depth to it, and it's late, more late-breaking. Randy had a good slider, and he was an awesome pitcher. There's no question about that. And, and Chris, uh, you will see him tonight because he's the kind of guy, when he's pitching against Felix, uh, he's going to be amped up. There's no question about that. That's one of the great things about the game of baseball. When you get two great competitors out there, they want to get after one another. And, and Chris is of that ilk. So he'll be you. He might he might hit a hundred a couple times tonight. You know, last time out he hit 99 a few times when he was in the jam, and when he does get in the jam, he'll reach back because he keeps some in his back pocket. He'll pitch at 92, 93, 94, and another guy who did that very well was Pedro Martinez. You know, mm-hmm. Pedro would pitch at 92, 93. All of a sudden he get in the jam in the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning or something. All of a sudden here it comes at 97, 98. So Chris is a, a pitcher like that. He doesn't. He, he's not pedal to the metal all the time. He's got a terrific changeup that has really set him apart uh, from everybody else because of the strikeouts. Is the slider and the change, and then all of a sudden that 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 98 or 99 fastball looks a lot better, quicker than mm-hmm. that. What when you think about Felix, what comes to mind? Great. Great. You know, I saw him pitch one of his first games. I think it was his third or fourth start. We played him right here. Brian Anderson, he had not given up an extra base hit, I think, in his first three games. And Brian Anderson came in here, and Brian got him twice that night. He got him on a fastball and he got him on a curveball. But Jermaine Dye got a double down the right field line here, and that was the first extra base hit that Felix had given up. And and, and all of a sudden I'm talking to uh, to Wimpy, my partner, or uh, DJ, Darren Jackson at the time, and I said, this guy, you know, this, we're looking at something special right here. Mm-hmm. He's got great poise, he, you know, and his numbers will tell you how good he is. I'm not a numbers guy in baseball. You know, it's like hitters. Don't tell me what you hit. Tell me when you hit it. And uh, pitchers, you know, give me the Ws. You know, give me the wins. I don't care how many. The culture of the game is so much different today than it was. These kids are better players than we were. They don't have better teams but they are better players than we were, better talents than we were. They can do things that we couldn't do. And I, people say, well, you know, I get emails and texts from former teammates and, and peers of mine saying, how can you see these, say these guys are better? Well, they haven't seen them every day for 56 years like I have. And they're bigger, they're stronger. They're bigger and stronger in football. They're bigger and stronger in basketball. Why not baseball, you know? So I love to watch these kids. These kids – we have more good young talent in baseball today than I've ever seen. When you get guys like yeah. Bryce Harper, Mike Trout, and all these guys, you know, and you got one of the greatest second basemen to me that's ever played in Robinson, you know, and yeah, I love to watch Nelson Cruz. So, as we were talking before we were on the air, I think probably two of the biggest disappointments in Major League Baseball this year have been you guys and us because of high expectations. Mr. Expectations will get you, and I think they got – got all of us because coming out of spring training I thought you guys yeah. might win this division and I thought we might win our division and here we are just just counting the days down now. Hawk uh, 
you're an outstanding golfer. You love the game of golf. Will you tell us a story about your famous home run call? Put it on the board. Yes. Well, first of all, Rick, I got $125,000 with a, no, $225,000 with a canceled checks to prove I cannot play golf. <laughs> 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 but uh, uh, that came, my home run call came from, I was, I got an exemption to play at Pleasant Valley in, in Sutton, Mass, you know, and Kezi uh, Mangola ran the tournament and, so I hadn't been playing. He says, Hawk, the, season, uh, the ticket sale's not uh, very good. Come on out and, and play. So I went out. I was announcing with the Red Sox. And, uh, and of course, I had played there. So I go out and I, I played good. I shot 68 the first day. Wow. And then the second day I shot uh, 71. So I'm in the hunt. So the third day I go out there, I knock in about a 30-footer for for a birdie on a par three. I think uh, Lanny Watkins and Ray Floyd were at eight under, and that put me like at, uh, at five under. So I was just three shots off the lead. And it, they didn't have the electronic scoreboards in those days. They had manual scoreboards. And they had this elderly gentleman sitting up there with a little hat on and a pipe and a book. He was reading a book. <laughs> so hey. when, I, when I knocked in that 30-footer, I looked up at him. He's still reading his book. He didn't move. So I'm walking off the green. And I said, put it on the board. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he startled him. You know, he got up and he put a two up there on the board. And then the yes came from my daughter. She was a terrific competitive diver. And, you know, I, I was going to all her meets when she was going off the one-meter board. Then she was going off the three-meter board. When she started going off that 10-meter board, you couldn't have pulled a grease tee out of my behind with a pair of pliers. <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> she'd go off that 10-meter board, and she'd do a three-and-a-half uh, three or four-and-a-half or two-and-a-half. All these dives, you know, backflips and everything. And every time she'd hit it, she'd come up. I'd go, yes! <laughs> <laughs> so one day, one day, I don't, I don't know who it was, hit a home run. And I'm watching him go around first base. I said, you can! Put it on the board! Yes! <laughs> and that's where that came from. Golf and diving. Yeah. Uh, that's a beautiful Just like story. we expected, right? right? That's exactly. Great story, buddy. Yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. Ken, thanks a lot for the time. We certainly appreciate it. My, my pleasure, great. guys. My pleasure. Wonderful Thank stuff. Absolutely. Thanks, Bob. Absolutely. See you later!